0: (laughs) yeah so i never thought i'd be talking about nickelodeon on this podcast but here we are um so you mentioned that you saw the new are you afraid of the dark movie um was it any good because i was expecting them to come back and just do like a a reboot of the tv series
1: yeah well it's interesting because um originally it started out as a movie that was planned to be written by gary doberman who's from like the it movie franchise but Um, That fell through, so they ended up getting uh, D.B. Grabinski, who directed a few other films of that nature, and um, it turned into a three-part miniseries featuring an all-new Midnight Society with one central tale, and the format of the three-parter was very similar to the Tale of the Silver Sight from Season 7 of Are You Afraid of Dark? (sighs) I remember watching that. It was actually quite good at the time, even though most people didn't care for season six and seven when Tucker led the Midnight Society.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, folks, if you're tuning in and wondering what the heck we're talking about, uh, this is Relic, the Lost Treasure podcast. Um, This is one of our It Belongs in a Museum episodes, which is where I have a roundtable-style talk with another... Uh, guest or podcaster, so uh, if this is a little bit different than what you're used to, uh, the narrator format, you can go back and listen to those episodes, uh, or you could just keep listening to us. So I have here today a very special guest. He was my neighbor and has been my friend for a million years um, growing up in Connecticut. So I've got here Brett Wilson, who is an animator, illustrator, and uh, I guess a, a hobby... Archivist for
1: cartoons. Yeah, you can. Hey, Brett. Hi, Max. How are you? (laughs) Good to see you again. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, aside from being like a freelance illustrator and uh, selling prints of my work online, I've I've always had like a deep passion for for like old TV shows, um, particularly like anything from like the '90s area of Nickelodeon and even back in college before nostalgia was kind of a mainstream hype train type thing. um, Friends would always like come find me because I was the Nickelodeon kid who like knew everything about all the shows and always had like access to old VHS tapes that no one else had. And that's, that was kind of my thing that made me popular. So I guess even after graduation, it just stuck with me and I just really love digging up, you know, old facts in addition to relic treasures.
0: (laughs) You didn't know that you were going to be the coolest person on Earth, and get here, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, there's an intersection between what I do, which is Relic, the Lost Treasure podcast, and you as a Nickelodeon archivist. Mm-hmm. And that is, we're here today to talk about the old uh 90s kids game show legends of the hidden temple you bet we are now, <laughs> yes we are now this is a very millennial centric episode which is great Now, if for those of you who don't know what that is and brett is going to explain it in more detail mm-hmm. nickelodeon used to have game shows like double dare and what was the other one there was nick
1: arcade there was guts there was Figure It Out. There was a lesser known, What Would You Do? and You're On. I mean, uh, Nickelodeon at the time had no shortage of games shows that were wet, wild, and fun in every way imaginable. <laughs> it was a golden
0: age of children's entertainment, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so one of these was a show called Legends of the Hidden Temple, which I could best describe as part obstacle courts, part history trivia show. Um, Pretty much. And Brett, if you can actually just explain this for the audience, uh, in the most concise way possible. Of course.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So Legends of the Hidden Temple was a show that had its roots in history, but also combined elements of shows like American Gladiators and even took a little bit of, um, inspiration from like Maya, Incan, Aztec culture, and even a little bit of Indiana Jones with its like flair. Um, It ran from 1993 to 1995 for three seasons and 120 episodes, and it was a big hit at the time. I mean, kids' age range, I think, from like around eight or nine to 14 was the cutoff, uh, competed for various prizes uh, in attempts to retrieve an artifact of the week, as they'd say, um, that was hidden somewhere in one of the many, many rooms of the temples.
0: So basically, what I remember was it was set in this kind of uh, sound stage, decorated like the Amazon. And then there was the giant temple, which was the main obstacle course. Mm-hmm. And you had the narrator, who was kind of this Indiana Jones esque person what was his name it was the same guy
1: yeah it's jeff Fogarty? nope (laughs) Uh, i mean okay he was very similar to jeff proofs on survivor but his real name is kirk fogg and he's like very charismatic the mc of the show just kind of making sure everything runs along smoothly and He he definitely knew how to make an entrance. Like sometimes he'd be either swinging on a rope or like dropping down from like rock climbing belay gear, like literally into the front. It It was it was wonderful. (laughs) When I was a kid, I I wanted to like do his job, like be him. Oh, absolutely! (laughs) Like I would too.
0: So you would have the kids. There were the different teams. So there was the purple parakeets, the blue barracudas, and other. Other different Do you want me to rattle that... them off in order for you? Because yes, I'd absolutely like place the do. back of my hands.
1: So we okay, had the red jaguars, the blue barracudas, the green monkeys, the orange iguanas, the purple parrots, and the silver snakes. Perfect.
0: Thank you. <laughs> You're awesome. So uh you could do that job, darn, that was good. Yeah. So Thank you God. had so the beginning would open up with a trivia the segment where the story of the treasure of that week, the artifact that they had to retrieve from the hidden temple, the eponymous hidden temple. Mm -hmm. It would be narrated by a giant animatronic stone head named Olmec named after the, um, the Olmec civilization, uh, uh, in Central America. And it was super nineties cheese. It was so great. Like it was so great. Just like red LED lights on this, uh, for the eyes of this stone head. Yep. It was just like a giant puppet. It, it literally was. like a was. deep gravelly voice. It was great. Yeah. And he would narrate, he would narrate the story, which was very, very again, very nineties. And from that history lesson, the kids, the contestants would have to compete uh, for the trivia portion on the steps of knowledge and every multiple choice answer they got right, they would get some sort of medallion that would help them in the run. And basically they would also do these obstacle courses before the lead up to the Hidden Temple and they needed to get medallions because... In the t- technically in the pendants, of <laughs> pendants of life, Pendants of life. Okay, so at the, the the episode would culminate with the hidden temple obstacle course, which mm-hmm. was this giant sprawling very Indiana Jones-esque temple where there were different rooms and puzzles you had to do in order so there was the of course the most infamous shrine of the silver monkey where you had to put three components of an idol together and then put it on a pedestal to unlock the door because you had to complete these different challenges to uh, proceed through the temple and to find the uh, one of the rooms where the artifact was mm-hmm. and get retrieve that get out of the temple and then you would of course get a uh, a cruise to the Bahamas, or a Nintendo sixty four, or even Space uh, Camp. <laughs> yes, Space Camp was like the like that was the that was the Holy Grail, the quintessential of, children's of, gift. Of, <laughs> yes, absolutely, Space Camp. I wanted to do Space Camp so yeah. bad. Anyways, I digress. So the what was terrifying about this is that, and the reason why you had the pendants is that inside the this is so so traumatizing. Inside the temple, you would have these people dress up as very problematic uh, Incan warrior temple guards, and they would jump out of, like, the woodwork. Like, they'd be hiding behind a tree or in a trapdoor, and they would just jump out and grab you and pull you into the abyss.
1: Yeah, pretty much they... um... You
0: could only get away with this back in the 90s when there was just no accountability, and you could just freely traumatize children.
1: Yeah, I mean... Uh, there's not really much more to say if you didn't have a pendant of life um to help you keep going throughout the temple because there's three guards hidden in the temple somewhere to try and stop you from getting the artifact uh you were taken out and your partner would have to go in because each of these teams were teams of two.
0: so it was basically you basically had two lives quote unquote for your team and then the pendants were kind of your health bar and then if a if one of the temple guards did try to capture you, you could just give them the pendant and you could continue. But if you didn't out a pendant, then they uh you were, you were spirited out, away yeah. into the abyss and never seen again. Um <laughs> until after the show, uh, usually. I until mean, after the show, yeah. <laughs> thank God. Yeah, none of them were gone forever. <laughs> oh jeez. Uh, probably would have run for a hundred some odd episodes if that was the case. Yeah. Uh what else to say? So I know that kirk fogg you said the mm-hmm. game show ho- the host he mentioned that the the shoots were like brutal like 19 hour sessions oh, and yeah. the kids just were put through hell like it was the most only like everyone wanted to be on the legends of the hidden temple until you were on it and then it was just the most excruciating experience the the things like the the moat that was one of the obstacle courses smelled bad everyone just stung yeah there's even uh, one the case kids would where drunk. <laughs>
1: There's even one case where there a girl vomited like in the pit of despair the while they were doing the temple run because what would happen as I was doing you know my behind the scenes research, um, they would shoot all the segments at one time so they would do like three four even five shows a day and they would do like okay here's five shows worth of the moat section then the steps of oh knowledge gosh. and then break for lunch for like a half hour if you're lucky and then go to the temple games and then the final temple run. And, you know, by the time they got to the last phase, it was 11 o'clock at night and they were just deadbeat tired. So you wonder why, you know, they're not going faster through the temple run when everyone's like trying to cheer them on and they're just trying to muster the last of their strength before (laughs) they can't take it.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, yeah child labor laws great stuff mm. uh why did she throw up why did she throw up into the ball was she just like exhausted yeah dehydration yeah that'll do it uh so i guess what if the so the central conceit like the 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 narrative arc if you will for this game show was that the hidden temple was this temple this complex this ancient complex located in the jungles of presumably let's say south america but they never really specify and essentially all of history's greatest lost treasures through some supernatural will would end up in the hidden temple so it's kind of like the literal couch cushions of history like it would just you would lose something and it would show up here and that would be the artifact du jour
1: and you know something, that's part of the show's appeal, too, because you never know what like item from history or mythology would appear in the episode, or even what room. Yes.
0: Yes. And what we're here to talk about today is how many of those artifacts in the 120-some-odd episodes have some sort of real-life historical component. Because a lot don't. Yeah, And I (laughs) combed through 120 episodes. You're a brave man. (laughs) uh, Thank you. On the Legends of the Hidden Temple wiki. Yes, there is a wiki. To basically pull apart which of those were... There were real... There's a real component to those treasures. uh, And which are you know bunk so for example it was all every almost every episode hit, had some historical basis there was a historical figure who did exist but the the legend like the 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 artifact would be things that we really can't prove existed or can consider a lost treasure so there's yeah like butch cassidy's riding boots which of course he probably had them right. but like where there's they no documented up, significance
1: it, or anything like that
0: yeah. yeah. So to call them lost treasures is like, yes, maybe they were lost and that it was an uh, object owned by a famous historical figure, but it doesn't have the same sort of legendary significance as, you know, the lost treasures that we usually do right. on Relic.
1: Not to say that we're
0: like the be all end all of lost treasure, yeah. but they definitely that's took what some to get
1: creative license to market it to kids, make it palatable. Yeah. So what I did was I
0: sifted through them and I kind of separated the treasures into three categories. Ones so the ones that had no basis I just didn't bother with. There were ones where there was mm-hmm. kind of a historical basis that I thought was worth mentioning, so we will give mention to those. There mm-hmm. were ones where it's dubious whether or not there is kind of an accuracy there and then in the top tier there was the ones that are the closest to actual lost treasures that do exist and even then of all of them there's actually there's really only one and it was the one that I did not I never heard I'm it wondering if it's
1: the one it, that I'm thinking of
0: <laughs> it might be so we're just going to keep that a secret for now sure. but there is only one treasure that actually there's no photograph of it but I'm I'm has, I'm kind of confident did exist and we can consider it a lost treasure because I don't know. I never was able to find out if it's in a museum somewhere or not. Mm. There isn't a whole lot subject matter on this. So for all intents and purposes, it's a lost treasure. Sure. Um, before I begin, we already had a power outage, which was a little spooky, that, cut, that knocked Brett offline. Does everything look good on your end, Brett, with the audio? So far, crystal clear. Got
1: my internet working. Great.
0: I think we're good to go. <laughs> good that is one of my par- paranoias okay so let's start with the first treasure that i have and brett's going to do the narration that is uh from the actual episode so Olmac, the giant stone puppet head dude his narration for uh the treasure itself so the first treasure we're going to look at that is grounded in reality is blackbeard's lost treasure
1: map brett one of the meanest, ugliest, most ordinary pirates who ever sailed the Seven Seas was Blackbeard the Pirate. He went into battle with ribbons tied to his long black beard and tucked long, smoking fuses under his hat to make him look more frightening. When things got dull, he would light fires in his own ship or shoot one of the crew members just to keep them on their toes. Blackbeard liked to attack Spanish treasure ships and steal their jewels. If people took too long taking off their rings, Blackbeard would cut off their fingers once, he even made a man eat his own ears. When he gathered all the treasure, he would row shore with just a few men and bury it in secret. Sometimes, the men who helped him never came back. According to legends, the last of the 14 wives held a map to his treasure and eventually found its way to the temple. Wow, that was really good, Brett. Thank you.
0: <laughs> good job. I'm also a voice uh, actor, I... a hobbyist. <laughs> I legitimately enjoyed that. Uh... So I'm really glad that you you brought up the. I, I'm surprised they said this in a children's show. Uh, actually, I'm not because I did sift through all of the 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 kind of Olmec blurbs uh, to just like try to find some historical basis, and a lot of them were let's just say not culturally sensitive. Like you would never get away with saying that on TV nowadays. Yeah. Um, and then the but the other side was a lot of them were actually really anti-colonialist, so kind of took the side of let's say if they are talking about the Aztecs, it would take their side against the Spanish and were vi- rightfully villainizing the Spanish conquistadors. So it was kind of this weird 50-50 where it was like super problematic, where we're talking about the Chinese dragon lady, mm. and then really kind of uh, modern, we'll say. But uh, the part about the eating the own ears from that, I did look it up. Is that true? And... <laughs> he i did see that according to legend he once made a portuguese prisoner eat his own tongue ears and lips i don't know how you could eat something without if your tongue i don't know how you could eat your own tongue but uh yeah so special kind of torture yeah blackbeard not the not the best dude so that actually really kind of so blackbeard who i think was edward teach Was his real name? Yeah, so he's a famous pirate. I don't really need to go too much into him. as kind of a ubiquitous figure. Um, he, his, he actually the, his reign of piracy was very short. It was only two years between seventeen sixteen and seventeen eighteen. Oh wow! And seventeen eighteen. So 1716 to 1718, but he really made a name for himself in those two years. So yes, he would attack Spanish ships. He was really brutal. He was terrifying. He once, um, uh, let's see. Oh yeah, he ended, uh, his reign ended when uh, the British Lieutenant Robert Maynard actually decapitated him and hung his head up from his ship as a warning to any other pirates wow so really gross good stuff here Yeah. now uh, yes now what about the pirate so the actual treasure map it is believed that blackbeard slash edward teach a lot of his fortune was never recovered Mm-hmm. Um, so supposedly he did hide some of his wealth. Now his ship is called the Queens and Anne Re- Queen Anne's Revenge. And it was supposedly discovered in 1996, uh, in a wreck off the coast of Beaufort, North Carolina. Oh, wow. Um, there is some controversy over whether or not that was the Queen Anne's Revenge. There was no treasure found on board, but I don't think they've also looked through the wreck in its entirety because shipwrecks are very, you have to do a very light touch Mm. and they're also underwater, which is not easy to navigate even Mm. with like scuba gear. So the jury's kind of out on whether there's actually treasure there. Now, what is the veracity of, sorry, let me try that again. What is the veracity of a treasure map, uh, actually existing? Well, there i did look up an article on how stuff works which is a great website and they say quote despite how they're portrayed in pop culture pirates did not leave maps laying around with an x marking the spot probably because that's a terrible plan yeah it seems too if easy anything yeah <laughs> if anything they would, i never realized i never really gave that much thought but then i'm like oh yeah that is really dumb
1: yeah
0: um so if anything, they would know a general location and remember where it was buried. So this is probably why we haven't found a lot of lost pirate treasure, because the secrets kind of died with their their capt- the captains. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: Dead man tell no tells no tales, as uh, they say.
0: Exactly. Um, historically, one pirate, Thomas II, who I have mentioned on this podcast before, <laughs> used an actual treasure chest to stow his prize. Uh, that cache of wealth uh was valued at 102 million dollars so it was a lot yeah. yeah uh blackbeard's missing treasure might have been valued at 12.5 million so
1: it's no small thing one of the,
0: <laughs> yeah it isn't but a lot of historians are like well that's actually a pretty low mm-hmm. uh that's what he was sorry that was what he was what was found on him what he amassed while he was alive But they believe that his real treasure is much, 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 much more higher in value. Uh, And his ledger says that his real treasure is, quote, it lay in a location known only only to him and the devil, unquote.
1: Mm, Mysterious. So,
0: (laughs) yeah. So there's a couple of theories. This is from a Mental Floss article on possible whereabouts of Blackbeard's treasure. Still on board the Queen Anne's Revenge, if that is the shipwreck, if that is in fact the shipwreck, as again there is some debate off the coast of the Car- one of the Carolinas. I'm not going to back to see which one. North Carolina. Um, it, there's also it might be somewhere else near one near North Carolina, Ocracoke Island. So it might be there on a kind of a blast pattern.
1: Is the wreckage oh, he, nearby? Yeah, it was Bla-
0: Sorry, yeah. Blackbeard, yeah, yeah. Blackbeard was trying to blow up someone else's ship, mm-hmm. uh, and it didn't work. So they think that maybe it's on that island when he had that kind of attempt to try to destroy someone who was coming after him. Mm-hmm. Uh, another possible place is a place called Plum Point, which is uh, one of his high, old hideouts, again, near North Carolina. Sounds very non-threatening uh,
1: for a pirate. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, well... Uh, there was a chance that he bribed the governor of North Carolina who had the, la- the governor Eden and that there's some treasure on that that estate others think that it's basically anywhere in the Caribbean because he uh, captured 30 ships over the span of his career and it could just be on an island somewhere there which, good luck uh, and the final theory is that it's in hell <laughs> so Ooh um so as he said nobody but the devil will know where it is and the person who remains the the longest lived should probably find it uh that's paraphrasing what he said but sure. um yeah so uh on the november twenty two seventeen eighteen, 1718 Blackbeard was captured and a lot of him and his most of his crew were put to death um Surviving crew members later recounted a story which may appear a little incredible. um this is I believe from Captain Charles Johnson, who was a pen name for someone who kind of came up with the sort of pirate mythology you would recognize today. so it is a legend mm-hmm. I would take it with a grain of salt, but um, on Blackbeard's one of his ships towards the end of his Sort of the end of when he was going to get captured, they would realize, they would do the the roster of how many people were on the ship. And they would notice that whenever they did a count, there was always an extra man on board, which would trip them up. And then they would count again and then it would be fine. And then the people would report seeing, the crewmen would report seeing uh, some random dude just on the ship, kind of going about his business and always kind of just disappearing around the corner. And they couldn't give an account on who it was. But uh, they believe that. Where is it? Like a stowaway or a ghost? (laughs) Well, so this shortly before this was leading up to the days when everyone was captured, Mm. and right around this person vanished and the treasure was hidden. That's when they were captured, and so they now, kind of looking back, the survivors believe that that person was none other than the devil.
1: Who Ooh. was in league
0: with Blackbeard, taking an account of the treasure and making sure that it was guarded in hell? Wow! So, yeah, this, that's that's Blackbeard's treasure map. This
1: lore is really fascinating. I'm surprised they haven't turned into a movie yet because I'm just imagining it as you're talking about it, like being very adventurous.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, it's a little Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> at this point, I want to mention. So, there's two honorable mentions from Legends of the Hidden Temple. And one of them is the pendant of King Kamehameha, uh, who was the king of Hawaii, who united Hawaii in the 1800s. He, there, it talks about him wearing a Hawaiian piece of jewelry that was usually worn by the Ali'i, I'm, I am think I'm pronouncing that right, Ali'i. Uh, which were the which were the Hawaiian chiefs who like ruled the islands? Uh, they could be of both genders. Uh, this pendant was known as a le niho paluwa, pala, oa le niho Palaoa That sounds right. Sorry, Hawaiian. <laughs> so I'm just gonna butcher the Polynesian language. Um, so he would most likely have worn one of these. It is a ceremonial object. Now, whether or not they can attest to where that went, or no one can say. But he—he, he in fact, his burying place, what is a mystery, because when he was buried, uh, they followed an ancient custom where they hid the body of the ruler, mm-hmm. so it was buried in a hidden location, and it remains unknown. So he might have been buried. I don't. I couldn't find if like. Traditional Hawaiian custom would mean he would be buried with ceremonial objects. I don't know enough to to make a yes or no on that. Sure. But maybe a pendant would have been buried with him, if possible. So that's one possibility. The other treasure that I came across that was mentioned on Legends of the Hidden Temple was a treasure I actually just did an episode on. And that was the Fountain of Fountain of Youth. Mm. So Ponce de Leon and the Fountain of Youth. So just a quick recap on that. The Fountain of Youth was a spring of water said to give you either long life or eternal life or rejuvenate your rejuvenate you Mm -hmm. so if you were old it would restore you to a younger age it was believed to be in various locations throughout history it was a legend that kind of snowballed and was sort of an oral like tale that would be passed around it pops up in a lot of medieval manuscripts when they were colonizing the new when spain was colonizing the quote-unquote new world they thought it might be there so this legend got ascribed to Ponce de Leon, who was the person who colonized Puerto Rico and discovered quote again quote unquote discovered Florida, <laughs> uh, and a lot of yeah I don't know why does it seem weird it seems weird somehow yeah I don't know I think it's just because of Florida. How its significance in the American home of oranges and old conscious. people? <laughs> yes, so the Fountain of Youth definitely not there because yeah. that's usually where people go to retire when they're old yeah. and they don't get younger. Mm-hmm. But the the long and the short of it is the the legend of the Fountain of Youth being ascribed to Hans De Leon was sort of a propaganda effort by someone who didn't like him in the Spanish court, mm. and the Fountain of Youth has yet to bubble up somewhere so i just wanted to make a mention of that um now this next treasure which is if you'll look is the stone marker of leaf erickson this is another one that's this is a bit of a stretch but i did want to include it Mm -hmm. so uh brett if you can read olmec's narration for the stone marker of leaf erickson
1: with pleasure 500 years before Columbus, a fierce Viking explorer and his tiny longship battled a ferocious storm in the Atlantic Ocean. His name was Leif Erikson. Waves tossed the longboat violently, but the crew held on bravely to their oars, rowing whenever their paddles touched the water. Leif knew that his father, Eric the Red, would be worried. They had started out from Iceland weeks ago, but this storm had been pushing them for days, and now Leif had no idea where they were. Just then, lighting up the sky, lightning lit up the sky, and Leif pointed to the west. Land! Land! he yelled. By morning, the storm had played itself out, and they drifted with a current along the white sandy beaches and forests of tall trees. Leif named it Forest Land. Today, it is known as America. He and his men left a carved stone marker near their settlement so they could return with other Vikings, but they never did. The stone marker eventually came to rest in the temple today. Thank you, Olmec. So the the
0: Norse colonization of North America is something that did exist. So it turns out Columbus was not the first non-Native American to... Well, that's... Hold on. How am I trying to say this? (laughs) So the person to discover America from... Outside the Americas, that was not he a doesn't good sentence. Deserve, I'm probably going to edit. He doesn't deserve all the credit. Oh. No. Uh, anyways, so the 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 Vikings did discover North America, mostly Canada. Uh, it was again Leif Erikson and, and Eric the Red, so the father son duo. Uh, they mostly they mostly kind of settled in like Newfoundland Mm -hmm. from what I understand. So just kind of like a really the cold Northern part of Canada, which makes sense because it is near Greenland and somewhat close to Iceland. So, so yeah. Um, now they didn't last there long because, um, the senior Eric, the red got sick. And so, yeah, leaf went back to, um, their, Unpronounceable. It's very Icelandic, and I can't pronounce it. Back, basically, basically went back to Greenland to just kind of uh, stay with his father, who had fallen sick. So mm-hmm. the expansion of the Vikings never really got that far. And um, stone marker, I guess, kind of was maybe a con- there. There were rune stones, I guess, that were kind of Viking wayfinders, but there's really. There's there's really no consensus that the Vikings ever kind of entered the what we would recognize today as the United States. Now that having said, there is something called the Kensington Rune Stone. Mm. So it is a slab covered in runes that was discovered by a Swedish immigrant uh, to Minnesota. This gentleman's name was Olaf Omen. He discovered it in 1898 uh, in the township of solemn, douglas county minnesota, and named it after the nearest settlement, kensington. Hmm. so supposedly what happened was he was clearing the land of trees cuz he was gonna you know, he needed to unearth stones for to basically create farmland, and while he was kind of exploring this knoll near the wetlands, he found it laying down and discovered that it was a stone carved in a language he did not immediately identify and thought it was actually uh whatever the native american tribe in that region was i i apologize i actually don't know but they thought that it was it belonged to them so Further analysis was done, and it looked like it was a stone left behind by the Vikings and possibly Leif Erikson himself. So the stone was translated, and the text reads um, eight geats, which I, I don't know what a geet is. I should probably look that up, but I think it's something to do with actually, let me just do that right now.
1: Isn't it like a distance measurement?
0: There are Scandinavian people of southern Sweden. To which the legendary hero Beowulf belonged. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. So, uh, eight Geats and 22 Norwegians on an exploration journey from Vinland to the west. So Vinland was where the Vikings landed in Canada. We had camped by two scaries on day's journey north from the stone. We were out to fish one day. After we came home, we found ten men red of blood and dead. Ave, Virgo, Maria, save us from evil. We have ten men by the sea to look after our ships. Fourteen days travel from this island in the year 1362. I don't think that year really coincides with when the Vikings found the New World, but... So the general consensus is there was an analysis done on the stone, and a lot of people think that it's a hoax. Um, mostly because of the language used in the transcriptions of the runes. It isn't, it's not what the ancient tongues of that ancient Norse language, it it just like, there's grammatical errors, there's things like that. However, there are others who argue that it could have just been a dialectical thing and that it could it could hold up. But peop- I'm personally leaning towards hoax. The other thing is that Leif Erikson was like, 300 years before the date that was listed in the kensington runestone so it might not have been him it could have been like descendants or other people who were in you know because before like the third late 1300s columbus and like the other colonists hadn't come over to america yet so i mean theoretically yeah it could hold up but um yeah, I just thought that was that was kind of close to the treasure mentioned in the Hidden Temple. Um, yeah. What do you think?
1: <laughs> uh, well, I don't know too much about Leif Erikson, honestly, um other than what he was portrayed as in in the show and of course SpongeBob's little moment yep. with him. I would my mind was going to SpongeBob as well. <laughs> happy <laughs> Le- <laughs> Le- happy <laughs> Leif Erikson
0: Day. No Vikings. I of love him. It's fine. Yeah. Um it's okay. We'll move on. That was kind of, I uh, sort of a throwaway treasure anyway. But I thought it was interesting. So yeah. I wanted to mention they one of the artifacts in one of the episodes of the Legends of the Hidden Temple was the medal of Sir Edmund Hillary, who, as we know, along with Tenzing Norgay, were the first to summit Everest, and it ha- and it be recorded. There is debate whether another group might have summited it and then there's no record of it and they, cause they died. But these two, mm-hmm. they, they did summit Everest. Uh, they both received a medal from the queen that medal is most definitely not lost. I couldn't find where it is, but it's, it's not lost. I'm just going to go out there and say it. It's not lost. It would not end up in the hidden temple cause we still have it. Uh, the, maybe it's just
1: misplaced <laughs> then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the other one I wanted to mention was the Eye of the Statue of David. In the flavor mm. text for Legends of the Hidden Temple, Olmec's little narration, he says that it was destroyed by an angry mob, and it had to be reconstructed. So this is the Statue of David by Michelangelo. The statue was damaged, and the arm was damaged in a riot, because the long or the short of it is that... Italy, the the city states of Italy were fighting at the time. And one of the city states thought that um, a giant naked man was a diss to them. So they tried to attack the statue and it was damaged. Uh, but it was the arm and it was fine. So th- there's a little bit of historical basis there. But I think they the creators of legends decided to kind of run with it.
1: Yeah, I was I, just to make a quick note, I always thought it was really strange how uh, a lot of the treasures that would show up in the temple were like body parts, whether it's like from a sculpture or actual like body parts. Yeah, they had like mummy sh-
0: hands, didn't they? Have, like a mummy yeah. hand.
1: The the weird there was there was like a shriveled hand that was mummified. But the weirdest treasure I'd have to say was from season one, and it's the belly button of Buddha. <laughs> and you'd think that they would just put like the jewel from his belly button in the in the temple. It was in the observatory, by the way. But no, they actually took like. A, like a slab of his gut they cut it clean off and placed it on t- in the room which i thought was just a little bizarre and off-putting it's <laughs> a
0: little weird and a little insensitive Um uh, yeah so there, but that's the 90s <laughs> yep in a nutshell <laughs> there were two treasures the golden jaguar of atahualpa and the stolen necklace of montezuma that I consider doing a full-length thing on, but I'm not for two reasons. One, I've actually covered The Legend of uh, Altahuapa's Cursed Gold uh, on Relic already. It's the first season. Uh, And then the stolen necklace of Montezuma, there really wasn't a stolen necklace, but there was also stolen gold. So the stories are actually quite similar. Uh, Atahualpa was the Incan king and Montezuma, the Aztec king. So where Mm. Mexico is for where Montezuma Mm. would be and where Peru would be, roughly where Peru would be for uh, Atahualpa, the Incas. Mm -hmm. Both of them were colonized, Pizarro for the Inca, Cortez for the Aztecs. The stories are very similar. Essentially, both both of the conquistadors came to the kings, struck a dirty deal, and then there was a conflict, which resulted in loss of gold. For Montezuma, the incident is actually known in Spanish as La Noche Triste, which means the night of sorrow. And Cortez's men had saddled up their entourage with gold and were making their way out of the city of Tenoch. Oh, I cannot pronounce it. The Aztec city that starts with a T. I believe it's Tenochtitlan. And they, mm-hmm. they were on the way out when uh, Montezuma sicked his men on them. And because they were weighed down with gold, they Basically, were slaughtered and a lot of the gold ended up at the bottom of a swamp near this causeway. So the gold conceivably be still there. It is a lost treasure. For Atahualpa, I didn't do a whole episode on this, so I'm not going to go too deep into it for the sake of time. But the gold might have not been seized by Pizarro's men. Atahualpa may have had it hidden and then laid a curse on it because he was killed by Pizarro. He was strangled. So, And people go looking for it and they don't come back. So that's a fun time there. So those, those two treasures the golden jaguar and the stone necklace. I mean maybe there was a golden jaguar in that hoard that Atahualpa hid but we can't really say for sure. And I don't couldn't find anything about a stolen necklace, but they those two are based in fact. So we're gonna go to treasure three. So we're almost done now. Brett, this treasure was really annoying to me because it the treasure itself does exist, but it was not the right historical figure who is behind its creation.
1: So there's a mismatch just to make it sound more interesting.
0: Yes, which I don't know uh, why they did that. I don't know if it's because it wasn't too far after the Soviet Union
1: or, or what. But I mean, that, they could uh, just have been lazy. That was literally the last episode of the entire series where they're just like, ah, oh, just throw something together, maybe mixing two of them and, you know, tell it, right. get it done.
0: <laughs> right. So um, this is the jewel-encrusted egg of Catherine the Great. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you can just read the, the text there.
1: You bet. One of the greatest rulers of all time was Catherine the Great, Tsarina of Russia. During her reign, she unified all of Russia and conquered Eastern Europe. A German princess, she was brought to Russia to marry Peter, the heir to the throne of Russia, in 1745. But her new husband was cruel and did not love her. When he became the Tsar, he decided to do away with Catherine. You must leave the court. I'm sending you to your villa villa outside (laughs) St. Petersburg. That's that's me being a Latin student of St. Petersburg. That's beside the point. (laughs) But Catherine had many friends at court, and the Tsar had many enemies who were tired of his tyrannical ways. Catherine's closest friend, Gregory Orlov, began to plot for her. One morning at dawn, a handsome cavalryman appeared with a carriage, waiting to take her to a palace. Everything is ready to proclaim, your empress... Poor Catherine was terrified. It might be just the trap to accuse her of treason. She rode the whole way in worried silence. But at the palace, Gregory Orlov was waiting. What's going on? Tsar Peter has abdicated. You are to be the empress of Russia. Long live our beloved mother Catherine. Woo, cheering crowd. In gratitude, Catherine gave Orlov a jewel-encrusted golden egg, which later found its way to the temple. Your quest is to retrieve the jewel-crusted egg of Catherine the Great and bring it back here.
0: All right. So uh, Catherine the Great, very interesting historical figure. And a lot of what that you just said there, Brett slash Olmack, was <laughs> is correct for the, for the most part. There's actually a really great miniseries starring Helen Mirren. On Catherine the Great that's going mm-hmm. on right now. Uh, I think it's still coming out. It might have just ended recently. I caught some of it with my housemate, but it's really good. And uh, I wonder yeah. if they'll
1: touch upon that.
0: <laughs> they, oh, they, they have. I they, I mean, basically what you just said is, is accurate. There was Gregory mm-hmm. Orlov was a companion of hers who helped her overthrow the king. And Catherine right. the Great was a decent ruler for the most part. Uh, she instituted vaccination. She was one of the first rulers in government to ever do that, which was pretty cool. So she was a woman of science and reason. She was problematic in other ways, but, but yeah, no, so it was pretty cool. Now, Catherine the Great did have a lot of bling. She had a lot of jewelry, but the golden egg, I really couldn't see anything about. Now, here's the thing. Fabergé eggs are ascribed and attributed to a Russian ruler, but it's actually the Romanovs. So we're looking at, hmm. yeah, so we're looking at the um, more recent modern history. Now, the Romanovs, most famously Anastasia, mm-hmm. Tsar Nicholas was her father, and uh, they were killed during the Bolshevik uprising of 1917. So they, the Romanov family... They commissioned every, every Easter uh, eggs, jewel-encrusted eggs created by the House of Fabergé in St. Petersburg. Uh, possibly as many as 69 of these were created, of which 57 survive today. They were all manufactured under the supervision of Peter Karl Fabergé between 1885 and 1917. The most famous being the 52 imperial eggs, 46 of which survive, made for the Russian Tsars Alexander III and Nicholas II as Easter gifts for their wives and mothers. So the first of the Fabergé eggs was crafted for Tsar Exa- Alexander III, who gave it to his wife, um, the Empress Maria Fe- Feodorovna. Uh, in 1885 to celebrate the 20th anniversary of their betrothal there the inspiration for it might have been a princess vilamina of murray of denmark but there is no connection to catherine the great so every year except for during periods of political turmoil the Tsar would commission another egg and they'd be these beautiful just kind of Jewel encrusted eggs that are I believe glass and gold and different types of just just you know opulent stuff, yeah, and they would have little like secret treasures hid inside like little prizes uh and they're historically known now they are lost treasures or some of them are because after the revolution there's We have most of them, but we don't have all of them. A lot of them might have been lost during the revolution and uh, stolen or hidden away by private collectors or buyers. A lot of them are in the possession of a Russian oligarch who I don't, I had his name written down, but I don't really like to give them much. Time or respect, so there's just some rich jerk who has a lot of them who's currently alive, but um, a lot of them are actually missing. There's photographic evidence of a couple of them. I'm gonna do a whole episode on them eventually, so I don't want to kind of you know spill everything in this one, Mm -hmm. but um, some of them were stolen by Joseph Stalin in order to acquire more foreign currency in 1927. Um, Yeah, so there's a couple that are missing, and we don't really know where they went. Yeah, that's really the long and the short of it. Uh, I'm going to do a whole episode on them, and yeah, so that's... I'm looking
1: forward to that. (laughs) Yeah, that's really all there is to say, because I don't want to say too much, because I want to save it for that episode. Yeah, that's totally fine. I actually think they're very peculiar, like, treasure to have, because of their, like, delicate, like, very decorative nature. It's, It's very different than other treasures... Um, that you've talked about, so I'm looking forward to hearing more about the history behind them, and you know their construction, and you know if they have any uses at all other than just looking pretty. That'd be cool to learn about too.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, they're they're. I mean, they're historical pieces of art, and it's a tragedy that we don't have all of them. Uh, yeah. And it's tragedy that th- there's likely just a couple of jerks who have some of them and haven't told anyone. So. so- Uh, Before we get to our final treasure, I did want to mention the two other kind of, I guess we'll call them the iffy artifacts, and that would be um, the Horn of Roland and the Lost Portrait of Hans Holbein. The Horn of Roland is a, it's real in the sense that in the legend it does mention it. Roland was a crusader. Uh, who I believe there is historical basis for this this figure. And there is a famous poem called The Song of Roland, where he makes kind of this last stand and he blows his horn. And it's, you know, just mm, old European legend. It's, it's cool, but I won't really go into it. The horn of Roland probably doesn't actually exist, but it is mentioned in the story. Uh, Hans Holbein did exist. He did do portraits of King Henry VIII, as well as a lot of them. The, the story in The Legends of the Hidden Temple says that the the lost portrait of Hans Holbein was a very unflattering portrait of King Henry VIII, where he looked, you know, a little bit more on the corpulent side, and he wasn't happy about. That portrait exists. In fact, I looked at the screenshot of the portrait in the uh, episode of Legends of the Hidden Temple, and it's verbatim just like a printout copy of the the one that does still exist of King Kennedy VIII. However, there are missing portraits of Hans Holbein that have yet to be found and may never be found. So I do want to mention that because yes, there are missing portraits of Hans Holbein, just not the one that's mentioned in the episode. Um, side note: I really want to know who did all like the prop designs for the artifacts because that just Me seems too. really cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah. So this brings us to our final treasure, which mm. is the one that I am most assuredly does exist, and whether it's lost or not, I can't mm. say. So, okay. do you want to take it away? This is the heart-shaped pillow of Annie Taylor.
1: One of the greatest daredevils of all time was Annie Taylor. When she turned 63, she decided to be the first person to go over Niagara Falls in a barrel. She had a carriage marker build a strong barrel with a harness to hold her in place. This is madness, said the county coroner when he heard of her plans. You must not do it. But Annie would not listen. With a crowd watching, Annie climbed inside her barrel, strapped herself in, and put a heart-shaped red satin pillow behind her head. She bobbed through the waves, swept over the falls, and crashed below. The barrel held and floated ashore, and Annie emerged uninjured. According to legend, a reporter asked, How did you do it? My lucky pillow, Annie said holding it aloft. The town put a plaque for Annie's accomplishment up, but her lucky pillow was soon forgotten. So
0: this I I do remember hearing about because there was a whole segment in like the second or third grade that might have been the fourth grade, actually, that we did on Daredevils related mm-hmm. to Niagara Falls. I remember Falls. this. Okay. Yeah. I'm not crazy then. Cause we, so here's a little bit of how Brett and I did go to this. This is to the audience right now. I'm not talking to you, Brett. Um, sure. This, <laughs> Brett and I did go to the same schools growing up. We are in the same town. Uh, we were only two grades apart and i remember doing a whole unit on niagara falls and De- why did we do that like what what the heck was that about
1: it's cool, it like, but like it just you,
0: seems kind of random i think
1: yeah i think it was related to like either a unit on great lakes or like tall tales or random bits of history it's hard for me to remember exactly but it's definitely along those lines and i'm actually surprised that you didn't like mention anything about um John Henry's like hammer from that tall h- tale, but obviously that's not yes. historical. That's just more like, yeah, that's, that is a legend, unfortunately. I did see that.
0: Yeah, um, yeah I want I to believe. <laughs> yeah. No, I just remember like we're doing, like we're talking about like the people who went over on um the Highwire. I know we all studied the book moret on the Highwire, which is a famous children's book about. Um, about that, like someone would yeah. go over uh, between the falls on on a rope, just really crazy stuff, so this I do remember someone going over the barrel, and Annie Ta- you know basically what they said is true Annie Taylor was this older very interesting woman who was trying to raise money for herself and she was just like i'm just gonna just go over the barrel in the falls it was a it was a gambit and i kind of paid off she'd actually didn't really get too much money from it in the after effect she also regretted yeah. doing it so she she did go over the falls the barrel was retrieved i think she had only sustained a very small cut from what i imagine when the barrel fell into the water she probably just like the momentum made her like right hit hit her head on the the roof of it um but she brought in the barrel a cat uh and to test it yeah so they did the they did the test with the cat before so the cat went to the barrel and was fine so that was kind of like the yes you can do this and live she brought i don't know if it was that cat but she did bring a black cat along with her and she brought the lucky pillow, which is mentioned in articles that there was a heart-shaped pillow she did bring around, so it did exist. I did not see any photo evidence of it, and I don't know where it is now, but it did exist. Uh, I know, yeah, I do know that she mentioned that she thought it was the dumbest that she regretted it, and the quote is, I'd rather... It was a get rich scheme. Yeah, it was. She's like, I'd sooner rather go up to the barrel of a cannon head 1st and get fired out of it than ever do something like that again and she attributed a lot of like later life health problems to it because i imagine it was an incredibly
1: nerve-wracking experience yeah but i mean no light in a barrel you're just kind of tumbling how, how tall is niagara falls is it like 100 feet let's look maybe a little more uh 51 meters what does that translate to? I'm not Canadian. <laughs> oh, gosh. Why is that?
0: Yeah. I, I, well, now my internet does everything in, in Oh, right. Because Australian.
1: Australia. So oh, 167 feet. Okay. So I was close. Yeah. That's, that's. I mean, I've been on roller coasters that tall and it's pretty nerve wracking, even though obviously you get over it in like two seconds, but that that kind of stress on the body Especially at a time yeah. where that wasn't common. I'm sure, you know, traumatized She was 63. Yeah. She's
0: old for yeah. that time anyway.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, but good on her. So that, interestingly enough, of all of the legends in the Legends of the Hidden Temple, that lucky pillow is the one that probably does exist mm-hmm. somewhere. Um, and I couldn't find it if it's in any museum or somewhere else. But yeah, I guess it's a little bit of a mystery.
1: Could I could I mention a little bit about the episode itself for anyone out there who loves watching the show because it's really a memorable one?
0: Yes. And this one was, I thought was kind of ironic is that in addition to being this one of the treasures that does possibly exist, there's also this fact that you're about to tell us.
1: Yes. So out of the 120 episodes that aired across three seasons, this is one of the only, if not the only, instance where an artifact is retrieved from the heart room which is like the direct center or the heart of the temple and what's even more interesting is that when the purple parrots and blue barracudas like went up against each other blue barracudas were off to a strong i mean, sorry purple parrots were off to a strong start and they ended up winning like the first two of the temple games but then after that um they tied things up with the last one like you, you can even see it when you're watching the, sh- the episode is um, Missy and I think the guy's name is Taylor. They just had like a sudden burst of adrenaline when they were doing the last game and they tied it up. And when they did the tiebreaker, um, they answered like a totally out of left field about the Great Lakes. Uh, like, I think the question was, what do the Great Lakes empty out into? And I think it's the St. Lawrence River. Um, and by catching himself on that, instead of saying the Mississippi, he essentially got them like a, a ray of hope to compete in the temple. And after the guide got taken out, um, the girl who is pretty much like nervous and anxious all day just had like a sudden burst of energy went plowing through the bottom in about 30 seconds flat, went up, um, through the shrine of silver monkey, like managed to assemble the thing in record time despite you know being, which is too- no small feat yeah it's like that's the most infuriating
0: thing to watch people put that together
1: it, it really is but she was like too short to reach it but she was just like hopping up and grabbing it and just gunning it and you know with about 20 seconds left on the clock she managed to get out and by the end she was literally like hugging the host hugging her teammate and she was just breaking down in tears you know not only succeeding you know, in this feat, but being one of the only instances where she can retrieve it from one of the hardest places in the temple.
0: Do we have any after, like, like where are they now about any of those people? Because I, I mean, I imagine oh. at that age, that must have been such an achievement. I'm really interested to see, you know, if that's yeah. still a really beloved memory from if that, you know, that person which I I would hope they're still alive. I mean, I know
1: that it's not that uh, long
0: ago, but, you know. Yeah, it's they're enough. they're from
1: Gen X. They're from Gen X, so they're probably in their like 40s now. Right. Um some some contestants have like hinted here and there either in like YouTube comments or some podcasts that they like recollect their experiences on the show. I actually dug up something really interesting uh, the other night where I was reading this, like, web 1.0 format, all text-based page, and it seemed legit, even though it had no sources based on how it was written. But there's this contestant who had to get, like, a map. Uh, it was, like, a missing map from the Dark Forest Room from season two and three. Right. And he pretty much recollected his entire experience of, like, having his parents audition him for the show, even though he wanted to go on Double Dare and, like... Um, kind of talking through how his parents had to sit in the green room and doing multiple shoots of each segment throughout the day. And he he just remembered that, like, after just a long, tiring day, he, too, had, like, a burst of adrenaline. And he, he in particular, I think it was a silver snake, holds the record for fastest temple run ever in a minute 30 seconds. Right. As a result. Huh. Um, I don't have the specific like, website up in front of me, but I can always, like, show it to you later or give it to you as a link or something, because I thought it was a really fascinating read when you went into detail.
0: Now, actually, you said the word Temple Run. Isn't the game Temple Run actually, they believe, is based off of Legends of the Hidden Temple, like the iPhone game that was really popular a few years ago? Yes, because like it game? was on
1: the... Pre- yeah, it was, it was based off of the premise of running through a temple as fast as possible, and I don't know if that the game app itself timed you, but it's definitely structured and themed very similarly um, to the game show itself so it in a way Legends does live on in other incarnations just more subtle ones and I know for a fact that like it, um, a couple years ago they actually released like a home version of the game where you had these like different cards with the artifacts on it as well as um, like bigger board, board pieces uh, of the rooms that you can arrange and it It didn't quite translate as well in board game form because you essentially had to get like a group of people together to play, you know, in a living room and like roll dice to use all these different like maps and layouts on the tabletop where you would have to like roll numbers to try and get ahead and then go back. And there's even this little instance of like a golden uh, like shot glass type thing where you had to like flip, either flip it or like get a little plastic cannonball into it and it, it, like, the more I watched it being played, the less I felt like it captured the spirit of the show. Yeah, shell. I heard it wasn't that good,
0: to be quite honest.
1: <laughs> yeah. I remember that, too. Um
0: Also, it's interesting and, that the heart-shaped pillow that was found in the heart room.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it, it definitely went with, with the aesthetic because the heart room itself is painted to look like the inside arteries or atriums, rather, um, of a heart.
0: Well, we're going to come to an end here, but was there anything else you wanted to mention about Legends of the Hidden Temple? I think they're going to try to revive it or something.
1: Yeah, I heard like a couple of weeks ago that some guy from DreamWorks is launching his own streaming platform where they're going to like you know, hire or audition people who are in our age range to go on it, but it's going to be more like hardcore ninja warrior style and actually taking place in an Amazon juggle, not a game show. Oh. So I was, I was on board at first, but it seems a little skeptical that it might go more the wayside to like survivor and less legends of our youth.
0: Yeah. Or like kind of the fun sort of his history slash obstacle course format. Uh, yeah. and i know that they also did like a narrative t like a tv movie a few years ago um yeah that was in
1: 2016 and it it was more like a feature film where they took elements of the show um and they even brought back kirk five for it which is pretty cool but they pretty much just made like a loosely based story off the game show which i can't imagine is easily to translate between formats yeah. um and that that received like lukewarm praise. It wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. Certainly fun for the fans. I mean, just
0: bring the game show back. How hard is it to do?
1: Like in yeah, uh, just do day. it with kids and keep the formula. Uh-huh. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly.
0: <laughs> well, Brett, you, this was a lot of fun despite the power yeah. outages. Uh, was there anything you wanted to plug of yours?
1: Yes, actually, I'll just plug a couple of things. Plug away. Um, so, any anyone who's not aware, I'm a freelance illustrator. I do animation work as well. Um, But I have an Instagram page As well as an Etsy store And a Redbubble store Where I'm constantly uploading New fresh work Based off of like TV shows uh, Video games Pop culture That sort of thing And you can visit Any of those uh, At Brett Wilson Art Um, Same name across Instagram Redbubble Etsy Facebook I mean You can find me there And I also take requests If you You know Like anything In that realm Of Interest <laughs> and
0: you might have actually seen some of his work floating around the internet. The Final Fantasy posters that we collaborated on; those I still see them from time to time pop up, like yeah. just randomly.
1: So people love those. I mean, that's good. my best seller to date. And fun fact for all you listeners: um, I created those uh, for the 25th anniversary uh, of Final Fantasy back in December. I think it's December 22nd. Um, 2012. Because um, I know the th- series is around like the same age as me, but it just took off on social media after I got it out. So it, it's kind of... And I helped. <laughs> yes, you did. Yeah, well, this was a lot of fun. Um,
0: A little bit different than what I usually do here on Relic. So I enjoyed it. But uh, yeah, you can find me at on twitter at lost treasure pod or email us we've got the patreon which is just patreon.com slash relic uh we're hopefully support max thank you (laughs) um we're hopefully going to have a lot of more exciting things happen in the next months as we hit we get closer to the 50th episode of relic and uh, i hope to have a few more guests uh on for that so stay tuned Anyways, uh, the adventure continues. Have a good night.
1: Bye, everybody.